Well, here we are again with the Down to Earth podcast, where I just sit with pastors and have some very simple down to earth conversations. And today I have with me Pastor Will Pereja from the great city of Chicago. Thank you, Will, uh, from Addison Street Community Church for joining me this evening, taking time away from your your family on a Friday night. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, Silas, and. Uh... <laughs> I'm not a complete stranger. Usually I'm on the <laughs> usually I'm in your chair doing a podcast. Uh we have Chicago's gospel podcast that we do through our church. Um so I'm not completely strange to the yeah. <laughs> to the interviewing space. Yes. I'm happy to help. Awesome. I, I really do appreciate it. And speaking of Chicago, I've I've actually never been to Chicago. I have friends who are mega Cubs fans. Um, they've been to Chicago many a time. So what do you love about Chicago and what do you hate about Chicago? <laughs> Maybe hate's a strong uh, word, but <laughs> no, that's, that's good. Um, the Bible talks about hate. So um, <laughs> proper, properly used. Um, True. I, I hate the traffic. Um, traffic's <laughs> bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't ever seem to get better. Uh, there's a lot of things to, to, dislike and loathe about <laughs> almost any big city but ours in particular um sure. uh, my church actually happens to be down the street from wrigley field same street really? wow just a mile just i mean I, we walk there um so wow. it's a mile so uh cub season baseball season there's always traffic on our street mm. um and foot traffic you know all kinds of traffic and yeah uh, so yeah, the Cubs are a staple here. Um, I'm a Sox fan, actually. So for, okay. for, for those who listen to the show and are <laughs> are at all vested in baseball might find that curious. So I'm a Southsider <laughs> when it comes to my baseball allegiances. Uh, I love pizza, uh, Chicago mm. pizza. That's so that, but that's like a touristy thing. Mm, um, mm. I love good architecture. I love the Chicago skyline. I love fall. Um, fall in the north i think is i think it's hard to beat um yeah the season wise not not even really having to do with the changing of colors and leaves but i just <laughs> I like things a little bit cooler um sure i i, I like as, as much as i hate certain things i i love <laughs> there's things i love about when you drive and you're stuck in traffic you can often see the skyline um, from almost any angle. Um, I love the, the Chicago Transportation Authority, the CTA. That's you know, usually people from not from here call it the L. Um, but um, <laughs> I love riding the, the transportation. Um, so yeah, that you could. That's cool. I could keep going. How long have you been in Chicago? Um, I'm well. Two part answer. I'm originally from Chicago land. Okay. And so I, I, I was born in South America, um, and and um, to an immigrant father. My mother was from here. Okay. Um, so after they did a sojourn in South America, they came back here, and so I I lived in the city as a child for a couple years, and then from there it was like moving around and mostly suburban. Uh, as an adult married man, going on seventeen years. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's In great. The city proper. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay, cool. Awesome. And how long have you been a pastor at 
Addison Street Community Church? I am coming on uh, almost 11 years. 11 years. As awesome. as uh, lead pastor there. Uh, I was a I was an elder in a church downtown in the center city um, for four years previous to that. So I, I was a more of a lay, mm. a lay elder, um, not a staff pastor. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, um, that, those are the pastoral roles that I've occupied. Right. So they've all been in Chicago, um, though I had ministry experience before that. But sure. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your uh, testimony, you know, how you came to repentance and faith in Christ, and um, I guess even briefly, kind of the road you took, you know, to be uh, a lead pastor, you know, at where you're at now in Chicago. Yeah, so, um, like I said, I was born in South America, um, and most people follow that up with, were you a missionary kid? No, my dad's <laughs> native from there. Um he had emigrated to the States when he was 17 and put himself through college and tried to get into medical school here. Mm. Couldn't. And so uh, once he was married to my mom, um, he got accepted into medical school in South America and in Colombia in Cartagena, the city I was born in. Um, okay. and, and so um, after the med school years, um, they moved back here so we could do his residency and stuff. And um, it was those years in residency um, where the gospel came to our home, though my parents were nominal Catholics and even uh, variously. Mm -hmm. My dad was probably less, but my mom was pretty um, at least brought up that way. But part mm -hmm. of my my coming to faith was her coming to faith because she was just very um, she was discontent uh, with the church, Catholic church. Mm -hmm. Um, and I uh, was just looking, there was a search going on or a bug inside of her that just was, um, not going away. And so a neighbor lady down the street had seen me and my brother kind of terrorizing the, the block and, mm -hmm. um, as kids. And she came down to my mom and asked to study the Bible. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. The Lord used that. And she was listening to the Moody radio and the penny drops for her and she comes to faith in Christ. We moved out of the city to a remote kind of sub, um, not suburban rural area for my dad's first like real doctor job. And it was there in a small public school that this uh, one of my classmates in fourth grade invited me to a vacation Bible school. And it was, and they had this, this team of people, basically college kids coming and preaching and he was some he was given some like some kind of hellfire and brimstone message yeah. and I, I i was hearing that and i i i was under conviction for for my sin mm -hmm. and so that was shortly before my 10th birthday mm -hmm. i could say for for a fact like you know i i think that's when god mm -hmm. god the spirit um gave me new life and started that um started the christian life for me yeah. so so that was like salvation um my parents have always been somewhat conservative just in values and mm -hmm. upbringing and stuff so i think they wanted the whole you know, best education for their kids kind of thing so it's usually christian schools um 
and then my last couple years of high school was homeschool even so kind of mm-hmm. done the whole song and dance on, on on that but the kinds of churches we were in were also conservative and independent and baptistic um some people call them fundamentalist mm-hmm. which is which is which is true um but right. the lord used those those years um for me um to grow and mm. um I, I i was really involved in youth group and stuff and had a real genuine concern for people and i would do bus ministry and senior saints uh senior citizens nursing home type stuff and mm-hmm. i think a desire was growing and I asked one of the pastors in my church when I was about a sophomore, junior in high school, he said, so I said, how do you know if you're called to, to ministry? And he gave me this kind of like sort of nebulous answer. Well, you just know. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I took it and, but I couldn't really, I couldn't suppress what was going on in me. And so as it was in, in those days in that church, I, I did a, I answered the invitation and went forward to, um, to dedicate myself to full-time Christian ministry as it was often built. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, that's, and that never really left. I, I went to college for the purpose of, uh, you know, liberal arts, um, Christian liberal arts school for the purpose of learning the Bible better and, study business and bible and um so the the educational track was definitely part of that um but the different ministries i participated in over the years as i got older um were sort of pointing me towards some kind of pastoral ministry sure so sure and that just kind of led right into um because you mentioned you were a lay elder at the same church you're at now before being its lead pastor or no Did no no a different okay. church yeah well okay. there's there's a gap of years yeah okay i i did i too sojourned in the upstate of south carolina for a while mm-hmm. um from there i i went to mexico because of a friend of mine was in a ministry there and it was a university christian university the only like four-year Christian University in Mexico at the time still might be, and they needed some help. So I was like, you know, I'm kind of getting stirred crazy here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got all these degrees. Um, I need something to do. You know, I just started dating a girl who then became my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agreed to go to Mexico. And in that time I got married, but in Mexico, I was, you know, spending a lot of time with young men and also doing some part-time teaching of, of, of their theological school. Um, okay. And so that gave me an itch to to learn more, and and so after two years, we had our first child down there, and almost right after he was born, we moved up to um, Detroit, Michigan, and I actually transferred a bunch of credits, and um, we did four years in Detroit, finished seminary, and again, that, like that was a good church experience for us, for my wife, for me. Sure. Um, and it was in the seminary years that I kind of caught the Tim Keller bug mm-hmm. and like urban, urban church planting. So sure. there was some of that. And, and the, what's interesting is one of your previous guests, Matt Owen, he and I uh, were friends in those seminary years and I had actually planned to go to sh- come to Chicago together and plant the church. 
That's so and in cool. God's kind, yeah, and in God's kind providence, that didn't work out. Right. <laughs> but I had I had a job. I had a job already lined up in Chicago. Um, even though we'd been um, planning to um, plant a church, in a sense, the church plant idea sort of like self-aborted mm-hmm. before before we even moved here in April of '07, and so that just forced us to kind of kind of like step back and say so what are we what are we doing here mm-hmm. um i wanted to i mean i was in love with the city already and and have become even more so so that's when we got into um, a church called holy trinity church um and we're really where i think the lord um sort of sanctified us from our kind of um fundamentalist tendencies and the kind of the self-righteous baggage that comes with a heritage like that though there's a lot of great stuff mm-hmm. in that um you know and i i had you know a bible degree from at the time a non-accredited school so i wasn't super marketable and my wife was a nurse is a nurse oh, cool. and um so she would get the jobs and stuff and um i i would paste things together but i was always looking for a pastor job and they didn't work out or you know Mm-hmm. And then until 2012, uh, when I got this job um, in, a, in a 130 year, it's a now 130 year old church. Awesome. So, yeah, that's the kind of the path to ministry. That's so cool. My wife also is a nurse, by the way. She's a NICU nurse here at, at Jacksonville. What what kind of nurse is your wife? She is. Um, she specializes in breast cancer. Okay. She's been, a, I mean, she's a veteran nurse, uh, yeah. I like to say over a quarter century. Um, wow. That's so she's cool. She's done all kinds of things. I'm um, started from the bottom up, night shifts in the hospital, ER, yeah. mm-hmm. step down units. Um, hasn't done a ton in pediatrics. Um, so she's a nurse cool. navigator now, which mm-hmm. basically is the kind of person who, um, kind of breaks the bad news that you have breast cancer to patients and she's like their liaison who walks them through um and and helps uh them navigate the process of from diagnosis to post post operation gotcha she's really good at what she does yeah that's that's (laughs) i'm sure you think the same about your wife (laughs) yes of course yeah i don't know how anyone in the medical field (laughs) does anything in the medical field it's it's awesome um but weighty too so um, that's cool yeah. that we kind of, kind of share that. Um, what's, you know, you've been, you mentioned at Addison street community church now over, you know, a decade. Um, what's one thing that you love about your church? What is maybe one thing you feel your church tends to, you know, not, not perfect, obviously, but, uh, maybe models Christ really well in a certain way. Like, what would you kind of say about that? Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to, I think I, I have effectively in, in um, nearly 11 years, I've pastored about three churches all mm-hmm. in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's, I, I say that tongue in cheek because it, it's, it's changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of, it was pretty much dying, very gray headed and nothing against senior saints. I and mean, there's a lot of great, great senior saints out there, but I think the church had lost a lot of steam and effectiveness. They were irrelevant. 
And so I come in kind of knowing that. Yeah. And so I, I think people term this revitalization. Um, so part of the whole story in answering your question of what I love about our church is that now a lot of dues had to be paid to get where we're at today. Now we're very young now. I was the guy who I felt they were pinching my cheeks because I was so cute and young at the ripe old age of 37. <laughs> and now at 48, um, my wife and I are some of the oldest married people in our church. Mm. So um, yeah, I guess we've been through a lot. But now, now that the church has completely changed, um, one of the things that just stands out to me is that if, if you visited our church, um, hopefully you would not be in a rush to leave because mm. one of the things that we see is that our people love to linger after gatherings. Mm. I mean, they're there for 45 minutes to an hour. It almost feels like no one leaves. That's so cool. Like the majority of people are are standing there just enjoying talking and fellowshipping and praying and laughing together. And mm. um, that's like one of the things you can like notice because the, the saints love to linger. Mm. They, they love to gather formally. Right. They love to keep the gathering going after whether it's a midweek service or midweek gathering or, or the Sunday morning gathering. Mm. That's awesome. That's super encouraging. Uh, Cause I know in our time here, you know, searching for a church when we first moved to Jacksonville, there were some places that we um, went to and it seemed very obvious that there were, I don't know if I heard this term somewhere, but like the shower and goers, you know, they just kind of show up <laughs> and then they just go, <laughs> they show and go, but to have, you know, I think that speaks very highly, you know, of your, uh, you know, the the community and that term can be thrown around a lot, (laughs) but it sounds like, you know, that's something that's very special. Um, so I love that if, you know, after the service ends, people aren't in a rush to leave, but to, um, catch up, laugh, like you said, pray, share, um, so that's, that's really cool. Has that always, I feel like I ask this kind of follow-up question often, but do you feel like that's been the case for a long time or is that something you feel has kind of naturally kind of, as you've seen the church, maybe even, I guess that could be a sign of growth and maturity in a way. Um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, that's the vital, yeah, the vital and vitalization. Um, it, it's been one of those, um, I wouldn't call it a mark, but it's definitely a byproduct. No, it, it hasn't been that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, we, we don't, we wouldn't have the time to get into it, but for our church, COVID helped us. Mm. And, um, yeah, we had to shut down for a little bit. But we, from what I knew, we were one of the first churches to open back up in the city, uh, at least amongst the churches I was familiar with. Sure. And there was, there was, there were people, and they were mainly students who really wanted to be in person. And that combined with a, mm-hmm. a church that had actually closed in a neighbor, a neighboring neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they merged into us at the beginning of 2020 mm-hmm. and then COVID and then we reopened and now we start getting an influx of students, mostly from the Moody Bible Institute. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, so there's, 
that. And awesome. that's one, that's just one of the things I love about our church. Yeah, that's fantastic. And kind of on the flip side of what I just asked you, um, what would you say to, you know, a, a question about some areas of growth or maybe opportunities for maturity? Maybe you see uh, at your local church, uh, maybe you and your other elders, maybe you talk about these kinds of things, casting vision, you know, something you want to, you know, see change. What would you maybe say about that? Oh, so you're asking you're asking me to air our dirty laundry. <laughs> As I like to joke, this isn't a, a proper place for church discipline. If you you know don't just call start calling people out, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I get, I, I get, yeah. and, and I'm, yeah. So this would be no surprise to to our church. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say there's two G's. One is generosity, and the other is global missional consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, so I think our church needs to grow in our generosity financially. This is not to say, lest anyone misunderstand that people aren't generous, that there aren't people doing their, mm, doing mm. their, pulling their weight and, you know, sure. being obedient. And, but I think that's on the, actually on the flip side, I think that's one area that um, we as elders and me in particular, because I've only had a second elder for, uh, about a year and a half now so mm -hmm. i i would kind of bear the responsibility of saying like i don't think i really made it a discipleship priority um to mm -hmm. help our people understand the joy of giving mm -hmm. joy of generous giving so mm -hmm. um i don't feel like i'm necessarily an expert in that but i do think we have all the means and in, in scriptures and the holy spirit so Amen. um i think there i think people just don't know what they're capable of for good. I mean, that's why we have been saved by grace is this. We were made new creations to, to God has saved us to do good works. So I, I think that's one area um, is financial generosity and how that goes with revitalizing the church. And I would say that actually affects um, us attaining that um, would actually push us out of the re revitalizing stage. Mm -hmm. um which we look forward to so and the others global missions consciousness um well, we're i think we're really into that and we're doing we've made some strides um sure but on a whole from what i sense from our global mission partners is that we could do a better job mm. and i don't think that is that is or can rest solely on one or two pastors to do but that mm -hmm. it needs a little bit more of a for the congregation to kind of yoke themselves to our, our partners and sort of own that and own sure. them in, in the best ways. Um, so well, I, I would say that our, compared to other churches, our church probably in some ways might do more than some other churches and might be more intentional. Mm -hmm. But I would say, oh, man, we got to do even we got to do even more and make it really focused so that our mission mm -hmm. partners are actually cared for. So those would be sure. like two, two areas where I think are areas of, of focusing for growth. Yeah. Do you think as, you know, one of your, your pastors, like does helping kind of shepherd your local church in that direction comes from, you know, the pulpit, like, would you try to add more sermons 
uh, per se around generous giving to kind of maybe like a series of some kind? Does that come from like a side? I don't know if you have like Wednesday night services, like a side study, or maybe um, if you just have regular membership meetings where you talk about this, like where would you kind of see you kind of leading in that direction, if, if that makes sense? Yeah, so we just actually got done with a three-week series on stewardship. Oh, nice, uh, we great. Call, we call <laughs> we called it we called it rich rich toward God. Um, so it's our our opportunity to sort of preach expositionally on a topic, exactly, rather than through a book, because we Fantastic. we were two years in the book of in First and Second Kings, and I you know that that was great. But as humans go, and Christians, being human as we are. Can get a little fatigued by hearing about the continual spiral of Israel's kings down and down <laughs> and down. Uh, so we knew we were going to be in Matthew, which we started last week. So we just thought this is a hot button issue for the elders that we feel super responsible for. So we mm. thought, okay, we'll mm. delay preaching on Matthew. So that's one area. Um, uh, writing. So we will write to the church occasionally. Um, cool. Emails or newsletter type things videos right. we use we use videos somewhat not not like you know we have a guy that's super capable at our church who's director of music and and media and you know so we're blessed to have that kind of person and on staff in our small church yeah um but uh so we don't it's not like we make video the, the primary tool of discipleship but it is a way and then we yes, ask actually in our membership meetings that it, it will be a thing They've already been tipped off <laughs> the congregation to to that. They know it's on the pastor's radar, and it, they know it's going to be a thing being cool. discussed moving forward. That's awesome. I love that. Um, where would you say you know most churches on on a website or in a membership class or something? There's some uh, just beliefs. You know, this is what we believe about. Uh, Jesus, this is what we believe about the Bible, um, different things like that. Uh, what would you say is maybe one belief or conviction that your church holds? Um, and how, and I mean, you might've just answered it even with, uh, the generosity thing, but a, a belief that your church holds and how do you guys, uh, put that on display, put some hands and feet to it in Chicago? I would say... Well, I'm going to weave in a few different answers. I think is kind of um, that that will answer sure. the spirit I love of it. your question. <laughs> um, I so what we teach in our membership training course is what we call it for any interested people to join. Um, is we we tell them that our church before we dive into the kind of the pith of our doctrinal confession what we call it mm -hmm. um we have this little introduction where we basically say we're congregationalists mm -hmm. and we're confessional mm. so when we when we kind of tease it out and explain what it means to be congregationalist in terms of our our governance as a church right, right? so we, we spend time doing that and being confessional which means we 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 publicly every week say some kind of creed mm. um you know, that's bouncing between Apostles, Nicene, um, Ligonier Statement, Christology, 
right now this year we're going through the new city catechism so that's nicely set up so every sunday cool. there's 52 sundays cool. every week we're you know so yeah this week's question 40 and and so and then we'll we'll weave in the big ones every now and then this year because the, the catechism so it takes up the time but can, being confessional i think people see that as um as, as a curiosity about our church because in some ways like musically we rock it um <laughs> And, 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 and but even then, our music is very much set up to shepherd people. Mm. Um, That's great uh, with the the grandeur of God. So we sing psalms, um, you know, not like just piano version or acapella versions, but um, for what's our our congregation is. So the, the so the congregationalism portion is basically we it's up to the pastors to teach would-be members what they're getting into and it's not just like a frenum thing like mm-hmm. okay like we always say we're putting our cards on the table here for our membership training but it's something that we are always doing so membership meetings the preaching of the word mm-hmm. um so i think another thing that we hold to um and it's still our well we're, we hold to we are beholden to Mm-hmm. And still need to be gripped by is the power of the gospel. And mm-hmm. it sounds so cliche um, because, yeah, you're a Christian. Of course, you're going to believe the gospel. Well, <laughs> well that's the thing. We, 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 we start off membership training and every Sunday is something about the gospel saying like, you know, we can't assume the gospel. Mm-hmm. This thing has got to, mm-hmm. this thing has got to stay the front and center of, mm-hmm. of who we are as a church. So what mm-hmm. we often say is that the gospel is like the, it's kind of like the, it's a really bad analogy. It's like the Tesseract from the Marvel universe. And it's that thing <laughs> in the center of the kingdom. It's that power. Right. But um, around the kingdom, the walls, the borders, those, those differ with different kinds of denominations and uh, within Protestantism, mm-hmm. you know, so the thickness, the height of our, our walls. So we were congregationalists. And so um, that means certain things. Right. Um, and so uh, one thing that I think also um, characterizes our church, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily um, specific to ours, is that uh, I say we're very sacramental. Hmm. And I think if you would look at our church, you would say, oh, you guys are Baptists, right? And I would say, yeah, I guess. Yeah, we, let's, we don't, we're not going to deny that. Um, hmm. But you don't expect sacramentalism. And I, that's a big, that's probably maybe even a controversial term for, for your audience. Um, all we mean is that we really cherish baptism and the Lord's Supper. Supper right. Mm-hmm. So baptisms are super special when they happen. Um, mm. And just within the last year, we're coming on a year of doing communion every Sunday. Um, that was not something that we approached lightly. Sure. Um, and there was sort of a demand for it, um, but we, we took it as, as a new eldership, actually, as an opportunity to pray, talk, read the word, debate a little bit, and go at it, and came to the conclusion that mm. we, should be, we should be at the table every Sunday um, mm. as a church. So that has actually strengthened our life together. Mm. Um, Praise God. So man. in some ways, so in some ways you're like, okay, and our church loves to sing. And so um, it's not just 
even though we use a lot of like contemporary forms of of music um the congregation for the most part is almost always the strong the strong that's the voice they're the choir and so yeah um between that and then capping it off with community everything's coming up to leads up to the preached word but in Mm -hmm. a sense what you can't do in preaching is you can't you can't break bread and pour (laughs) out juice and so we we visualize that every sunday um Mm -hmm. and use it as an opportunity once again to kind of nail home the gospel sure so i'm not sure if that really answers your question but i try to weave in certain aspects of our yeah of our congregational life um to to show you how it like fleshes out yeah and it's a really discipling so our our our, our worship services are meant to disciple and sure we don't we don't believe like it's all about sunday but sundays are super special it, oh, i like yeah. to say that sundays the sunday gathering is the base it's the base that's yeah. like you know and um so yeah no i appreciate you going into all that i think all that is uh super helpful with you know the answer to the question because um one it gives you uh especially with the lord's supper thing um and i will say oh shoot what was the other um the confession side of things like you mentioned your church is 130 years old um, has that like congregationally led, um, all of that, has that kind of typically been historically true of your church or has that also been something that's kind of changed over, over time? Uh, from what I know, no, it has okay. not been true. Okay. Our, 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 one of the things we teach in our membership training course, we, we have a, like a 10 minute stint on the history of our church. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it's because not there's not a lot of extant um, information about the history of our church, but what little we know, okay. our church has actually got a it's a mixed bag. Like we, the church has been liberal in the past, mm-hmm. like 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 truly a liberal church, mm-hmm. and then it's also I think it started off conservative, kind of in the evangelical world. Yeah, and I think it drifted, it drifted, especially you know when modernism everything that was like going down in America theologically um, our, our church kind of caught those bugs um, through like war, wartime, post-war. Mm-hmm. So post-war along comes my predecessor who was a kind of like out of a job youth pastor and he comes in as an interim and stayed for 50 years, but he was an evangelical. He was a Baptist too. Wow. So he sort of brought the gospel back to the church and i think one of the reasons why they were dying even 50 some years ago because they they lost their they lost the gospel they lost their sense of mm-hmm. and their awe of the gospel mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. that, that's going to happen every time and i don't want that right. to happen at least under my watch <laughs> right and that's yeah that's a good thing uh from your end for sure to have that uh on the forefront because you're right like you said it can be kind of cliche sometimes um i matt owen actually had a really great little line where he said back when you know it was like a tagline for a church to be gospel-centered to the point where it was like now everyone's gospel-centered for street cred you know like uh was it necessarily (laughs) like we're you know pointing fingers at like who's not a gospel-centered centered church but it just kind of became where it was just so cliche it almost didn't mean much 
Um, yeah. but it, but at the same time, uh, my dad used to always say that the gospel that saves us is the gospel that changes us. So it's, you know, if you go mm-hmm. away from the gospel, um, you know, that's where, you know, that growth isn't going to happen. And like yeah. you said, churches die, um, because of that. Um, so I, I really appreciate you sharing all that. Um, again, especially cause we are a church that prays for you. Um, so to kind of hear, um, your, you know, kind of your beliefs and how you actually put those on display, um, for your congregation and, you know, from your congregation towards Chicago and, uh, the surrounding community. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and every, you know, I mentioned briefly to you before we started recording how I asked, you know, every pastor, these questions, this last one is specific for you. So I don't think I've asked, uh, a pastor yet about church conflict, um, you've been at a church for a decade. I'm sure it doesn't take long for some churches to experience conflict with a pastor or uh, amongst uh, members or amongst staff. So mm-hmm. briefly, you know, how have you maybe experienced some church conflict? How do you feel the Lord used it? What did you learn? Uh, how might you encourage a new pastor or a uh, church members who are maybe in conflict. I know I'm asking you a lot of sub questions, but um, mm-hmm. just the the spirit of the question being church conflict and maybe how has that affected you and how might you encourage someone else? Yeah. So do you believe that, do you believe Silas that Jesus is the Prince of peace? Mm. Yes. Okay. So that's in scripture. Then Jesus Jesus, in his own words, says, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Mm. So if you're looking to like get the Bible to contradict itself, well, there's low-hanging fruit. And we know that's <laughs> not that's not a con. You got to read the Bible in context. Context, right. But, but what, what happens is when there is a spirit-empowered ministry, like the, the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, and the spirit of God comes down and descends on him, at his baptism, um, which he didn't need for the washing away of his sins. It was the fire that John the Baptist said, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and the fire. This mm-hmm. would be new. This is a new creation. Um, Jesus knew that the, the message that he was bringing, this new creation, this new kingdom, was not going to necessarily be perceived as something peaceful. Mm. Rome was offering the Pax Romana, right? It was anything Jews felt like it was anything but peace. Roman peace was a sham for for Jews, meaning being captive in their own land under Roman rule. So Jesus says, you know, you want, yeah, I think he knew that they wanted um, liberation, Mm. but he wasn't going there. Mm. So I think what he says is like, my my way means it's actually going to bring some conflict. And by extension, I bring that to say that that actually applies to. The, the family of God, the church, um, which you can't always tell like who's really in and who's really out in terms of their regenerated you know, state of their hearts. Um, yeah. So what happens is when truth is pressed, preached and taught and uh, fleshed out, it, it causes conflict. It's not because the pastor's right, because he's just, he's following marching orders, not his own, if he's faithful. And so for me, part of our history 
which could be germane to people who, who might be listening to your show, is our churches, um, can I say idle? Um, for 120 years, you know, so I come in as, as the 26th pastor in 120-ish years, it was patriotism. And I call it a morbid pathological patriotism. It was on display mm. inside and outside the church. They sung a song even in every single church service that had something to do with God and country. And, mm. you know, I kind of saw it when I you know, was candidating. But then, man, was I like bowled over by it when I started. And I maybe it was mm. foolish, but I started going at that almost right away mm. um, because it wasn't just it wasn't just like average patriotism. That's why I called it morbid pathological. Yeah. Um, and when I say, hey, I think you guys got an idol going here. They're like, no, I don't. We don't. It's not idol. This is not idolatry. Uh, so my first two years, um, I've been there nearly 11. My first two years um, were wrapped up in that. And at one or two points, like I think my job was out of line, close. And so talk about conflict. I, I got us all mm -hmm. together one Saturday night for a dessert on God and country. And I was like, okay, we're going to bring all the gossip out. We're going to just talk about this. It's not mm -hmm. a membership meeting. We're just going to talk about it this is in august of 14 i think and we talked about it and i thought oh man there's some breakthroughs here not that i'm trying to convince them of where i'm coming from but like i think we're getting some understanding right and man you, you talk about i read the room wrong oh no i read the room wrong oh no um for most people and um that taught me a little bit about mm. conflict that when you think that you've actually achieved a level of clarity that you it doesn't mean that your conflict has gone away it actually means that you probably just fanned the flame of more conflict mm. so i mean that was that was the issue that issue pretty much has died out by god's grace has died out in mm. our church mm. um so um i i, I think i could encourage guys yeah, I'm just one guy trying to be faithful to the Lord, Silas. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. not. Um, I think I, what I love about scrolling through your show is that most of the guys you have are people that aren't known. Right. And I hope that kind of number increases because um, I think more evangelicals, more Christians need to see that. There's just mm. pa unknown pastors out there mm. just being faithful and grinding for God. Amen. Amen. Um, but. I, I wrote it down a bunch of things, probably uh, uh, um, not related about things that could potentially help you, your listeners, your your church. I mean, just me writing these down, they were so helpful to me. Sure. The first thing I, I noted was that you need to think of yourself less. Not think less of yourself. You just need to think less of yourself. So conflict always feels so personal because we because we take it personally. But if you know that part of being in the family of God, you know, in a covenanted in a church, which we mm. have a church covenant that kind of binds us and communion yeah. binds us, obviously. Yes. Um, we we have to think like at some point, you know, the truth, the truth and the spirit are gonna make us butt heads. So mm. we we need to kind of like automatically assume A, that's gonna happen, and B that we're not going to be super offended. <laughs> right. So um 
I would say assume the best about assume the best about your critics because conflict is about that, right? Isn't it? it there's usually some kind of critique mm-hmm. or criticisms, right? Flying that are misunderstood or sail over people. So right. I think if we just assume, especially in a, in a church that's bound by um, again, like the church covenant and, and weekly mm-hmm. communion, mm-hmm. I think you just need to assume the best about your brothers and sisters, even if right. they're, even if they're launching salvos at you that hurt and kind of feel like um, they're unjust and unwarranted. Um, right. uh, I would say not all conflict is bad. Yeah, for so sure. If our, if our Lord, if our Lord said, I have come to bring um, a sword, that means that there is some stuff that's actually warranted. And so then now you have all the epistles that are just kind of like chock full of, of like it's like case studies whether you're reading <laughs> corinthians or um you know um, ephesians or thessalonians you're, you're kind of hebrews you're getting sort of like uh, wisdom for case studies and case studies on on how to handle some of the conflicts and mm-hmm. the fact that god in his sovereignty puts it in the word in this in his inspired book um means that it's not all that bad in fact in our in our church's confe- uh, fellowship covenant we call it is that it, we say something like we will pursue, we will try to like squelch ungodly dissension. Mm. And by putting it in a negative way, we were actually acknowledging that there is such a thing as godly dissension. Mm. Um, but there's a good godly way to disagree. Um, and actually conflict sometimes leads to some great outcomes and sometimes to deeper unity. Mm. in the church mm. Mm. so um and I, I would say especially for pastors um and i'm sure this is not a new thing that your guests have said well since i'm the first to be thrown the question um pray about it mm. like lay those conflicts out don't brother pastor don't pray against having conflict because if you're faithful, you're going to have it. You're just a lightning rod as part of a under shepherd. You're that guy. And um, just pray about it. Mm. And don't pray that it's going to be easy. Just pray that you have the courage and the wisdom to be both tough and tender right. um, at the right times. Like, I think one of the reasons why pastors get black eyes and become, you know, all the, the whole toxic masculinity stuff and toxic pastors is is because it's because um pastors misuse and sort of don't have the wisdom to be tender when they're you know when they're supposed to be tough and to be tough when they're supposed to be tender mm-hmm. you know so i think one of the most understated and undervalued virtues of pastors are is gentleness mm-hmm. and uh we you don't get taught that in seminary and that's not to the discredit of of our seminaries that is a work of the spirit of God done in a community of saints. Mm. So pastors are people who are becoming and pastors. You don't just get, you don't be you, um, <laughs> pastors are human becomings as well. And they need to uh, grow in, in the godliness and the godly virtue mm. and grace mm. of gentleness. So um, yeah. And I think everything is about modeling. So sometimes you're just going to be publicly, so you're going to be publicly mm. just, you know, wasted and, and pared down and you got to, 
take it. And here's one last thing I'd say is try to um, try to actually uh, in conflict, try to see the truth in what people are, are saying. Sure. More often than not, there's probably some good things that, that are being kind of thrown out there in the middle of a conflict that are actually true. Right. And latch on to that. Like right. see it from their perspective. Sure. Um, and I think when you see that there's truth in some of the conflicts and some of the critiques that are, you're getting, I think that helps to diffuse some of the tension in the room. Hmm. So, I mean, I can go on and on about that, but <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm the pro at it. Um, for, for pastors, there's a great little book out there called The Pastors and Their Critics by Joel Beakey. Um, mm. godly pastor i love um, him yeah he he's that that's a good book and you know it's just there's a lot of stuff out there i mean we could talk the whole another episode about books that pastors should read and <laughs> pastors should read with their churches and christians and um you know because i right. love reading is one of the things i love to do so yeah yeah that's awesome. No, I love your answer and uh, I'm glad that you touched on even the healthy conflict because uh, oftentimes, I mean, I've been married now for three years and there's been some not so healthy conflict and healthy conflict. So I've in a short yeah. amount of time have been able to uh, see the difference and um, and especially going to like a local church setting um, where, you know, conflict like you said it's bound to happen and how can we uh learn from christ who is the the prince of peace and um and apply that to you know like you said godly uh responses to conflict and and things like that mm -hmm. a healthy a healthy conflict so mm -hmm. um yeah thank you so so much uh will for taking the time to uh, talk with me and answer these questions. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is, is have simple down-to-earth conversations with local church pastors. So I'm grateful for your time. Um, and uh, I hopefully, will, maybe our paths will cross <laughs> at some point um, because as I mentioned previously, our, our church prays for yours. And so um, as I mentioned on the last one with Matt, you know, it's awesome to have had this conversation and hopefully, you know, people from my church to listen. And as we pray for you, we have heard, you know, your heart for your congregation and uh, what you love, where you want to see growth. And as we can come alongside you guys and, and pray for you. So thanks again so much for taking the time. Thank you. And, and God bless uh, your church and uh, your, your leaders and uh, keep, keep at it, Silas. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right.